quick, make a decision, right? Do you want to do better things or do things better? And the reality is it's not or, right? You need both. Um, the question becomes, you know, where does pharma on that is around digital, right? And I look at it um, that digital for pharma is let's do things better and optimize and let's get, you know, better, quicker drugs out uh, on the market, but not necessarily do new things in the digital services space. Hello and welcome to Himscast. I'm your host, Jonah Kompstock, and I'm joined today by Eugene Barukovich, COO and co-founder of Your Coach and the host of A Shot of Digital Health Therapy, a weekly podcast where he talks to digital health and digital therapeutics uh, experts and, and luminaries and, uh, and folks in the scene. I was a guest on Eugene's podcast. Uh, I guess for when you're hearing this, it'll be last month. And uh, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, and now I'm, I'm happy to welcome him here to talk a little bit about his company, uh, some news they broke last week, and uh, some of his, his more general insights on the state of digital therapeutics and, and digital health in 2021. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Thank you, Jonah. Uh, pleasure to be here um, on this podcast as a fellow podcaster as well. Uh, and that passion uh, did start during the pandemic, um, you know, last year for the shadow of digital health therapy. That was the premise of it to have a stage. And so I think everybody and their mother are podcasters today. But um, yeah, um, maybe just uh, thanks for the for the introduction. Um, you know, it's been definitely a, a crazy journey uh, as I joined my wife Marina Borhovich, who's the founder of the business um, Your Coach Health, um, and you know the premise behind it. Um, you know, as health and wellness coaching, I think in 2020, obviously exposed many things for us as human beings, right, um, around our health more so than I think ever before. Um, and, and there's a number of tailwinds for that industry, which, you know, we can sort of pause on that. But uh, again, happy to be here and talk all things coaching, DTX and whatever else you can pick my brain on and vice versa. Absolutely. So let's start by talking a little bit about your coach. I, I know that the, the basic premise of the company is, is um, applying some of these technologies and modalities that, that we use in, in digital health and telehealth to the realm of health coaching and not just... Um, not just doctors or therapists, but these certified health coaches who can help uh, with general life stuff and also with specific chronic condition. And I know the big news that you made this uh, past month was uh, the introduction of, of um, a wider range of employer partnerships and, and getting into that uh, world. So talk to me a little bit about, um, yeah, a little more about the genesis of, yeah. of the idea of the company, why it's important now and why that move uh, into the employer world is significant. Yeah, and and I'll probably peel the onion there. The, the, there's a number of questions in there, but um, I'll I'll start with um, I guess the genesis of the company. I'll be uh, relatively quick on that, even though it's an important component of it. So Marina, who is the founder, uh, she went through her own breast uh, cancer journey while we were living in Amsterdam. You know, luckily all is well, but she realized that as part of while the biological side and the doctors did an amazing work, they forgot about parts of her body mind, right, and soul. And so uh, she became a health coach herself as she was, uh, you know, at the time kind of somewhat joking around, body hacking, right, uh, or trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, and, you know, with that uh, came to uh, our 
also co-founder Dan um, said, let's build a toy. I need to manage this as a business. So at the core of it, what she set out to build initially was a practice management solution. So this is for the gig economy of health and wellness coaches that are managing, they're they're all entrepreneurs, they're managing their business. And that was the core component of that. Now, we we quickly uh, realized that there's much more than that. And so for the last year and a half, so we officially incorporated the company um, in January of 2020. That's when I also officially joined Marina after leaving Big Pharma. Um, and in the last, let's call it almost a, uh, a year and a half, we very much focused on how do we help the coaches to level up their practice, level up their business, and work with their own individual clients, right? So that was the genesis of the company. The second, I think, piece to this, which is also important, health and wellness coaching has been around for 20-odd years, right? Um, And I think only in the last, let's call it five or so, five to six years, it started picking up steam and actually connecting closer to the healthcare system with a formation of a nonprofit body called National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching. Um, the national board is responsible for many things, um, including they've been working with the AMA, uh, to put in place, um, level three CPT codes. So they're not reimbursable yet for health and wellness coaching, but this is out for testing in veterans administration. That was about November of 2019. Um, There's lots of clinical trials uh, that include health and wellness coaching and the methodologies um, around it. Um, And then the third part, the national board uh, is also responsible. Just this April, there's a taxonomy code. So for all the HIMSS geeks that are listening to this, you will know what that is. Uh, But it's a way to choose health coach in your EMR systems ultimately, right? So the taxonomy code is uh, just got put in place in April. So uh, there's now much more science, rigor, and process around this health and wellness coaching. And there's about 5,000 national board certified coaches, but there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of health and wellness coaches out there. I'll pause here. No, that's really interesting stuff. And I mean, it really feels like there's a, a niche here. You know, it's picking up something that the rest of the healthcare system is somehow of leaving behind or just doesn't have the the resources to deal with, right? Yeah, I mean, we kind of, it it was interesting when we released our health coaching report, um, we, you know, this was just when the pandemic was hitting. And actually, the original name of the report was health coaches, the new front lines of health. Notice I don't say health care, right? And part of that, you know, a role of a health coach is to help you as an individual at a highly personalized level understand and set and reach your goals, right? Uh, Anchored in there are scientifically validated, uh, I'll call them tools, uh, like motivational interviewing techniques, uh, like reflections, etc. Um, and so, you know, if you think about it, uh, to, to your point earlier, you know, docs are busy. Nurses are actually a lot of the population of health coaches. These are ex-nurses that decided they can no longer help patients inside the system uh, and becoming and getting their health and wellness coaching certifications and degrees and schooling. Right. And, and they're sort of stepping out of the system. Um, so absolutely, there's a lot of things happening. Um, the one thing I'll close off on this part of the topic is health coaching um, also sort of seemed to, in especially in the last, I would say, two years, became a bit of a buzzword. 
Um, and a lot of organizations are employing health coaching, but what we've had to explain a little bit is health coaches are being used as um, um, almost like nudgers, right? Well, if somebody is not using something, let's invite a health coach to nudge them to do something. That's not the goal of a health coach, right? And so we, we still have a long way to go as that industry to educate what actually health and wellness coaching is and more so what it is not. Seems like health coaching completely turned some of the paradigms of, of health and care that we take for granted on their heads because our healthcare system, at least in the United States, and I imagine in, in Europe too, um, is is so reactive and responsive. And you know, you have a condition, we'll treat it. Um, but health coaching, I think done done right, is very proactive. And it's you know, we're not it's not all this is not all about your disease, this is about your health. It, it is, right? And we're sort of saying it's, uh, I mean, ultimately and unfortunately, I think most of us will become chronic patients, right? And so we're basically looking at this as very much of a pre-chronic. Um, it is to help you with your health, wellness, and performance, right? Um, and so, you know, this touches a little bit on, you know, your earlier question, which I didn't unpeel far enough in the first uh, question around, you know, the employer market. Um, I think for the ones that are tracking the, the news and the fund funding rounds, um, you know, the large employers um, are absolutely bombarded, right, with number of solutions. Um, what we realized very quickly, while it, it is a different sale, it is a, um, a, a long tail sale, uh, we felt and some of the early data shows us that the SMB, the small medium sized business, which actually constitutes about 99.7% of the businesses and half of the workforce in US, um, is very much left without that infrastructure. Um, and so we're, you know, we are focused on the SMB um, side, small teams as well. So uh, because a part of it is, um, you know, if you want to help your team perform. And so we go into market with an individualized and highly personalized offering. Uh, but we're also um, will be launching very shortly group programs on very specific topics as well uh, to make it uh, a bit more affordable and certain topics that kind of hit home for almost everyone uh, if if you are a human being. So I want to transition to the, the conversation to talk a little more about your your podcast and your your broader outlook here. But before I do, I, you know, I really neglected when I introduced you to talk about your background and how you got here. And I think you know it's very interesting that you were. You were kind of the head digital health, digital innovation guy at Bayer, um, so very much immersed in the in the pharma world at a time when you know digital innovation was just starting to take root in pharma. And so then I'd I'd love to hear sort of about what your experience there was like and what made you decide to you know make this change and and you know go into the entrepreneurship route and and move you know a little bit away from the the life sciences stuff. Yeah, uh, probably many people don't realize, the ones that even know me, um, that I've only spent uh, three and a half long years in pharma. You know, prior to that, yes, I've been in health tech and pharmacy benefit management and, um, and yes, driving, you know, a startup here and a company there. But um, it, it was amazing three and a half years you know building out a team and going uh a against the grain and b and and i kind of almost jokingly say why does pharma need to change when it comes to you know digital health solutions um and i purposely say solutions because 
Um, others can look at digital health, even enabling clinical trials, right? Which I think, you know, at a core of pharma, um, I think the incentives, uh, and for good reasons, right, is to drive, uh, you know, everything from brand awareness, new to therapy, uh, you know, adherence. Everybody talks about the adherence, where a lot of these tools are helping the, the patients, but from a focus and investment perspective, um, you know, pharma knows molecules, small or large, but molecules, right? Um, and so I look at it uh, very much to actually a good friend, uh, Milland, uh, who was the chief data officer at Sanofi at one point. Um, he brought something to light on a Facebook post that I reacted to very quickly. Quick, make a decision, right? Do you want to do better things or do things better? And the reality is it's not or, right? You need both. Um, the question becomes, you know, where does pharma on that is around digital, right? And I look at it um, that digital for pharma is let's do things better and optimize and let's get, you know, better, quicker drugs out uh, on the market, but not necessarily do new things in the digital services space, maybe other new modalities, uh, AKA mRNA, right? Um, as an example. So it was a fascinating journey. Um, but that's, uh, that's the background. And at one point I decided to move on. I was working with great startups and the team and the rest of, I love how you probably one of the few Americans that actually named it buyer, um, where many just say bear. Um, but time has come, and um, I think, you know, a couple of things, but a key component of that was some of the huge tailwinds we were seeing in the health coaching space, and I decided to join Marina, my wife, on that journey. Yeah, uh, learning to pronounce all the pharma names was like my first two or three years on this gig. I think I've got right. it down now. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I know you weren't just doing digital health. You were also leading the G4A Accelerator, which is one of the one of the first kind of pharma, if not the first pharma-led digital health accelerators. And so I'm sure that, you know, you learned a lot in, in that gig about innovation and startup uh, startups and change management, things like that. Um, listen, absolutely. And I think what, you know, G4A sort of signified, um, you know, digital health and, you know, I think kudos to uh, Jesus Deval, who actually started the grant originally grants for apps as, you know, I would almost call it a movement, right? And was very early on. Um, you know, we did uh, restructure the team um, at the time in three components. Um, I think one, it's important for pharma and the digital health heads, leads, innovators to understand where do you actually want to play and where do you have the right to win to play, right? And what I mean is a little bit of the uh, business building approach, you know, how do you work with brands? Uh, where do you um, where do you invest your time and energy? So this is where to play. Um, I very much looked at the core, you know, G4A program or set of programs is who to play with, because uh, especially when it comes to digital, uh, a lot was not, and to a certain extent, still not happening inside pharma. This is, you know, the entrepreneurs that are driving it. And then uh, we also built out a venture building unit. Um, and this is where part of the equation of how to win, right? So let's take and spin things up. Lots of lots of lessons learned. Um, I am, uh, let's put it this way, struggling through my first ever book, um, the going title of Heart Pill to Swallow. And it's literally heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. Um, 
you know, first 19 brief chapters I put out there. I have about 90 pages. There's so much more, but I'm not a writer. Um, I'm more of a podcaster talker. So I'm struggling through that. Um, but having, honestly, also fun doing it. Um, so lots of lessons learned there. Um, and to this day, um, you know, I talked to quite a few, uh, you know, pharma innovators um, and across the across the globe, really, same challenges still arise, right? Um, but 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 it was one of the, honestly, one of the best experiences I've had, um, not counting your coach, of course, if Marina is listening. <laughs> so you started this podcast during the pandemic. Um, and it's another member of the Health Podcast Network that Himscast is also on. Um, and I really love the concept. It's it's very informal. You you call it meticulously unproduced. Um, it's you and and, uh, and Jim Joyce, and you just um, you know you just have people on and talk about what you see. And and I'm I'm sort of jealous of. I mean, I I do something a little similar here, but I tend to have you know these kind of very focused conversations. And I, I'm sort of jealous of the the perspective that that affords you to just have people on and just ask them. You know. What are you seeing? What's uh, you know, um, what's going on in this space? And so I'd love to hear you know, in, through this experience of doing this show, you've been doing it for about a year. Um, you know, what have you learned? Has it changed the way you see digital health or digital therapeutics yep. or, or this whole um, health? Tech yeah, space um, very good question. And you know, the the genesis of it, uh, the reason it's so meticulously unproduced, that was actually Jim's wife uh, term for it. Um, <laughs> um, Emmy. And uh, part of that was, you know, Jim and I, when we would meet at a conference, et cetera, right, lots of discussions happen um, that are sort of off the record, right, by the bar, lots of, you know, who is investing in what and what and how. And so we were trying to emulate this, um, you know, over these recordings, right, whether YouTube and uh, now podcast. Um, and, you know, I, I think people are much more relaxed in conversations and we've tracked sort of the rise of the SPACs, right, in that year um, and got the thoughts. You know, ultimately where I'm coming, and this is, you know, if I rewind back why Health 2.0 was started by Matthew and Indu back in the day, is this health consumerism. And um, while, while I think the payment systems are still not fully caught up, um, I'm kind of looking at this as that that health consumerism is alive well, and I think this is where it's heading even further, right? We, we had a little bit of a hiatus, uh, I, in my opinion, where the early startups, the early companies uh, were trying to figure out the business model, then everybody went B2B, right? Um, and even though we're starting to see quite a lot uh, pitching and selling to employers, Ultimately, those engagement are low unless you can delight the end consumer and customer, right? AKA the employee. Um, yes, the payment could come from the employer, but again, delighting and understanding the user experiences, what makes people jive, what makes people ebb and flow, I think is ultimately going to be key in usability of diagnostic devices and usability of apps. And um, also jobs to be done by those individuals as they're going through their day. And I don't mean literal jobs, right? So I think that's where, after about a year, that's where I'm ending up on this. I took um, a media uh, sort of continuing education program for, for, um, 
for journalism um, innovation and and uh, we learned about jobs to be done framework which like is something i hadn't come across before amazingly enough um and uh yeah i mean it kind of blew my mind as a as a way of because it's so far from how medicine typically operates (laughs) you know thinking about you know your customers and what what job they're trying to do and, and really putting yourself in their mindset but i do think that's the that's the direction we're going in. There's more and more people bringing those product sensibilities um, to healthcare right. design. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, the other aspect, and this is why, you know, obviously the good example of, you know, the Livangos of the world, but we'll, we'll see, you know, huge consolidation in, I'll call it the primary health, primary care, uh, and new modes of operandus, um, as we already seen, right? So there's nothing... Uh, probably earth-shattering to some of the listeners here. Absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit when I was on your show about funding. Um, we, we've both been sort of blown away by by the funding boom lately in digital health. So I, I wanted to touch on that here too, and and see, you know, what's your what's your take there? Um, what do you think's going on? Yeah, I mean, look uh, in. The, the my two cents out of the billions um, <laughs> that has gone in uh, is uh, there's a couple of dynamic pieces to, to this. Um, I think one is huge just liquidity in the market, right? Um, there was a high, I wouldn't call it a hiatus, but, you know, all of a sudden there's um, there's liquidity in the market. Two, um, I think we're seeing the likes of, uh, Tiger Global squeezing the heck out of the VCs, right? So the the BCD and GHI, you know, keep going rounds and going upstream uh, or down, yeah, down, I guess upstream, yeah, or earlier on. And therefore, those investors are going even earlier on, even though we just saw Tiger Global even make a seed investment, right? So um, I think um, that's a lot of the pressure um, and the terms the tiger sets gives the opportunities to the entrepreneurs to continue building. Um, and then when it comes to specifically to the digital health scene, look, it's, it's a race to who's going to quote unquote own that front door and, and yes, pun intended because everybody wants to be the front door to healthcare. Right. Um, and so that consolidation, the only way people can speed up and try to own the market and a large portion of the, is capital. Um, and actually less so, uh, I think it's just talent. Right. And if we remind back, and I think we talked about a little bit of this on, on the shout as well, um, you mentioned that, well, you can now hire journalists that are like focused on digital health and same goes with commercial people and R&D and scientists. And, you know, it's been over a decade right now that digital health slash health 2.0 slash connected health, call it whatever you want, um, has been added. So I think talent pool that needs to be um, you know, really acquired ultimately, right? Or acquired, um, liquidity and the Tiber globals of the world pushing the valuations up and becoming even more expensive. That's my two cents. So, as you look, um, you know, as, as you take a step back and and um, look at this space and the conversations you've had and the work you've done in it, are there any things that you wish people would talk more about or you wish more people knew? Um, or 
you know misconceptions that you hear that 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 drive you crazy i mean this is kind of a chance to i mean you have a chance every week on your podcast but this is a chance to speak to to the hymns audience um what what do you wish people knew or did or um so i guess a couple of things right um we've been talking about one thing that you know and i was asked to be to like i don't i forget moderate or jump in on discussion on patient engagement um i I personally despise that term, um, and and I know I'm not just speaking for myself. You know, Marina, uh, who's my wife, went when she was going through the uh, the cancer journey, she hated that term. And at the end of the day, uh, and I'm going to reminisce a little bit about. I'm sure you know Michael Serres, who passed away. Right, I was on a pa- panel with him years ago, and he said, you know, the unfortunate part is uh, patients are not engaged until it hits them hard. Right. And so when we talk about patient engagement, um, I think many in the industry are using that as a buzzword versus really understanding how can we really help. And a lot of times, you know, we had Alexander Drain on, on the shot as well. You know, caregivers are a key component of that, right? Um, so that's one thing that really, I, I think we really need to take this seriously. And I've had, uh, you know, back to the pharma world uh, a little bit, you know, you don't need to go back to your office and have a meeting about a meeting and, you know, talk about, you know, what do we do uh, and how do we survey patients? Sit in that empty chair, because guess what? Whether you already are a patient, God forbid, right, on, on a particular thing or somebody in your family, you don't have to wait for that chair to be filled and just do it, right? So that's... I, I, I can go off for a while on that. The second piece is, you know, we're so obsessed with technology um, and the technology is everything and the solution. And I think, you know, as a born as a technologist myself, I do believe in it. But unless you are focused on, um, you know, no magic AI is going to solve anything, right? Sure, there's absolutely use cases. To, we'll talk about radiology and other things. But when it comes to sort of consumer uh, and health consumer experiences, never say never, but today, and this is something we say at your coach, human eye, aka empathy, and aka actually, I'll say feeling the other person, um, and, and not physically, um, it does, it, it will not replace AI in any near future, right? Never say never, that there's... There's people working on it. I would say those are the two key things that really, you know, get me going. As you can see, I've been talking about this for the last few minutes already. So I'll pause. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I mean, I think that's a good a good stopping point. We're we're close to our time, but thank you so much, Eugene, uh, for coming on. It's been great. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I need to use you more as a as a resource. You have this such this broad background, um, and you're always so much fun to talk to. Um, so you know, hopefully we can we can collaborate on. We're, we're doing so many uh, ha- podcasts. Happy to do it uh, as always. Uh, and as always, we'll provide some links in the show notes. Um, we'll uh, we'll link to the site for your book, um, to to the your coast um, your coach. Uh, release or else to the Moby Health news coverage um any some some general stories we've done at Hems Media around some of these topics and of course to my appearance on your show which hopefully listeners will check out your listeners will check us out and it'll be great um so yeah thank you all for listening and until next time keep innovating keep being a healthcare change maker